welcome to the Audio Epic Storytelling Podcast. And uh, today's topic is... Storytelling in adaptations. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about, for example, when you turn a novel into a movie. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind, obviously. Uh, for example, like Harry Potter or uh, The Hunger Games, The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, uh, etc. Yes. You um, would be surprised which movies were actually novels first. I think most movies these days, unless they're sequels or reboots. Very often, yeah. Or sequel, reboots, remake things. <laughs> and then, um, of course, you could also do it the other way around. Uh, you could turn a movie into a novel, like, uh, you know, these novelizations that they're always talking about. Like they did with Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, they did They did that for Star Wars. Um, like when you see the cover of, of a Star Wars movie in a bookshop and then you realize, hey, it's not the DVD, it's actually <laughs> a book. Yeah, this DVD is made of paper. <laughs> That's strange. Yeah. So we have that too, although it's uh, less common. Then yeah. we have uh, video games turned to movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, those are notoriously difficult to do, apparently, or at least they, they get criticized a lot. Yeah, the audience often doesn't like them. Uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about that. And then um, you can also have, of course, comic book adaptations, which I think is a bit different from novel adaptations. Yeah, right, because you, you already have this visual aspect, right? Yeah. And uh, I think those movies are often very dark and serious compared to the comics uh, themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly in the case of Man of Steel versus, you know, those old Superman comics, uh, very yeah. different. Even Tintin was a little bit darker and more <laughs> mature <laughs> than the, than the oh, comic Oh, yeah, it was, it was a story <laughs> for children or teenagers. It's or just whenever I, whenever I hear the term dark and mature, I always have to laugh. <laughs> darker and more mature <laughs> okay anyway and i guess we'll have a fifth category of miscellaneous yeah uh adaptations you know people make all kinds of weird adaptations like um the pirates of the caribbean movies yeah those are movies based on a theme park right actually so yeah or you could base a movie on toys uh, the lego movie yeah, right. Um, I was thinking of Transformers, but you're right. Lego, of course. Um, yeah, I don't know about Transformers. Didn't they make the series first and then the toys were kind of a merchandise or something? Yeah, I don't know. which. Well, did they make the, the TV show first or did they make the toys first? I don't know. Well, uh, they knows? seem to go along very well, TV shows and toys. So You could mix... Comics and toys and movies, etc., and put it all in a blender, and then you get the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> yeah, and if you take one character out of that movie, you can make a spin-off <laughs> of that. And <laughs> yeah, wow, there's so many places to go with this. Yeah, a while ago, <laughs> I was in in uh, in a store and I saw a Lego set, a playset, and it was a Lego playset based on the Lego Batman movie. And so I thought, wow, this is a toy based on a movie that is a sequel to a movie based on a toy but it's also an adaptation of a comic book character that was put into a movie and i i was thinking welcome to 2018. you lost me at sequel <laughs> yeah and then um of course uh, you have 
novels turn to audio drama. Right, of course. Um, we should, of course, uh, mention that since we are audio dramatists ourselves. Oh, right. <laughs> um, yeah, um, there are some great examples. Um, the Chronicles of Narnia, Focus on the Family, Radio Theater made a very good adaptation of uh, that series. Please, Aslan. Can anything be done to save Edmund? All shall be done. But it may be harder than you think. And The Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings by BBC is, I think, my favorite audio drama of all time. Surprise, surprise. Uh, <laughs> and, but also, um, Ursula Le Guin's uh, A Wizard of Earthsea was done by BBC and was very good. Judy Dench was the narrator. By the way, um, when it comes to radio drama based on a novel, I think, uh, I, of course, The War of the Worlds needs to be mentioned. They uh, really used the medium to its full effect. And then, of course, that was turned into a movie. And then uh, they remade that movie, and so on. And so on. <laughs> okay, so let's start with... Um Novel to screen, so when they turn a novel to a movie. Overall, um, we kind of found that the audience or fans of the books are often very critical and seem to forget that this is a completely different medium. Mm. So, uh, in our opinion, um, a screen adaptation of a novel should not be a scene-by-scene -scene translation to a film script. Oh, no, no, no. Very often that's, that's a bad idea. Uh, because, well, there are a bunch of challenges that you have to meet. For example, a movie will inevitably be shorter mm -hmm. than the book. That was one of the, the things that they had to really, really work on in the uh, Lord of the Rings adaptations. And even then, you know, um, they did the extended editions, and even then, they don't have everything at all. Far from it. Yeah, um, and once you've seen the extended editions, you never want to go back to the theatrical editions. No, no, no. <laughs> you're right. In a movie, um, you have to take into account the fact that people are sitting in a chair for X amount of minutes, not being able to pee or anything. Um, <laughs> Right. So there's less time to dilly-dally. So no wandering around through the forest, the weenies by the campfire with friends, bringing every meal to screen. Uh. Yeah, and, and of course those, especially in, uh, in Tolkien's work, that's some of the, the most atmospheric stuff, some of the most, the stuff that's most typical of his work is that wandering through the forest and weenies by the campfire stuff. So they do have to put it in the movie a little bit, but they have to tone it down a lot, so... That's right, and and also in the in the books you get the feeling that everything is less urgent. That you they, can do that in a book. They have time to have a, a good dinner and and talk and. You can do that in a book, yeah. But I think in a movie you cannot do that in a movie, because people uh, have a limited amount of time to invest in that movie, and that's why I think it's it's interesting that they. Uh, had the chase by Azrak in in the Hobbit because it it makes the the, the whole sense story of, uh, urgency more urgent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In a movie, you do need to ramp that up a bit. It's just it's a different language. It's the language yeah. of cinema, and it's just expectations are different. That way, you don't feel like they accidentally turn up at certain locations, but that they are really driven there by. 
yeah by forces uh, yeah everything has to be a bit more interconnected a bit more cause and effect in a movie i think in a in a book um that's that's less necessary because you're allowed to meander a bit uh, you're allowed to wander around a bit and that's part of the wonder of of a book there are elements in in uh i know we're we're talking about a lot about lord of the rings now but there's a good reason for that um it's my favorite book and it's an incredibly successful adaptation um there are elements in that book like Tom Bombadil, obviously, if you've read it, um, there's a whole sequence in the early parts of the journey when the hobbits wind up in the old forest and they meet Tom Bombadil, who is this mysterious character who lives there. That whole episode is not in the movie. And on the one hand, you could say that's sad, but on the other hand, it's kind of logical that they left it out because it doesn't have any really relevant elements concerning the main plot. You know, how are we going to get mm-hmm. rid of the ring? That That's not really there in that whole episode. So if you've got to leave something out and you've got to start cutting somewhere, that's the first thing you'd cut out. Right. It would have been worse if they had cut something else out that, that was uh, essential to the plot. Exactly, so, yeah. Also, the, the events in the Old Forest, they moved those to Fangorn, which I thought right. was interesting because I think it's... Uh, important that you take into account that some of the audience may not have read the book and it, it has to stand by its own the movie that they they would be confused with all those forests in in the book you have all these different mm. forests and they really have a different atmosphere and they're all awesome <laughs> and they should all be there but in a movie i think it's it's very hard especially for people who haven't read the books to imagine all these different kinds of forests and still differentiate them all. Yeah, that's true. And I think also the fact that, you know, Merry and Pippin are strangled by, well, they survive, uh, but they're <laughs> strangled by by a, a, a tree with its roots. That whole event in, in the movie in Fangorn um, is a bit of a, a nod, sort of homage to the, the sequence in the book that didn't make it. Where were you? You should not be waking. Eat earth, dig deep, drink water, go to sleep. Away with you. Right. Uh, also, you have um, novels in which riddles and puzzles play a very big part. And actually, in those novels, that's the pleasure of reading the book often. Uh, for example, The Name of the Rose. That novel is a very has a very high level of puzzles and information right. and and and. Um, I I did uh, read Name of the Rose and I also saw the movie, and um, it's true that in the book there's a lot of uh, labyrinthine stuff with um, you know puzzles and puns and. Yeah, and that's what I loved about it. So I never got to see the movie because I was afraid it was going to be disappointing. Uh, the movie does a good job of sort of translating the plot itself as a detective story to the mm. screen. Okay. But then the um, all the sort of more cerebral stuff is sort of, you know, left out. Yeah, and it's only logical. It's it's very hard to keep keep it all in there. 
I think there are lots of ways to make a movie shorter without uh, leaving important parts uh, of the novel out. Yeah, of course. If you do that, then the whole thing could collapse, Yeah, potentially. Now, uh, so we've been talking about how uh, movies are always shorter than books. I mean, I don't think there are many exceptions. Some people would say The Hobbits uh, might be an exception. Well, all good stories deserve embellishment. But on the other hand, there's also the danger of making the movie too short. I think that's an issue that especially came up in the past more than now. When you look at older movie adaptations of books, in that regard, I think movies have become better at adapting novels because um, in the past, very often they had budget constraints, they Mm -hmm. had special effect constraints they couldn't put everything they wanted onto the screen and so you know you had the uh, the never-ending story which cuts the book in half and only told the first part of it right and replaced the dragon with a flying golden retriever yes that too uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting choice and that was actually still quite a good adaptation but there are many examples of um, older adaptations that just were so constrained that they either really changed the book or they condensed it so that it lost its um, emotional core. Uh, for example, the David Lynch adaptation of Dune oh, right, suffers yeah. from that, I think. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's a remarkable effort. I mean, you have to respect the movie for what it managed to do in terms of design, etc., it was quite amazing, really. But um, the, the, unfortunately, Dune is a great novel and it has great characters. But the movie just tries to condense all of that incredibly complicated stuff. The, 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 all of the world building and all of the, the detail into two hours. And right. it's just it's so cramped that the, it feels like you're always moving from, from plot point to plot point. Mm-hmm. Now we got to do this, now that's got to hap- happen. And as a result, the characters and their, their feelings, the emotional core is actually lost along the way, which right. is the real essence of the story. Yeah, and, and Dune is an incredibly rich story. I think it's a good example of one of those novels that could better be turned into a series or a mini-series to fully work. Because mm. I, I think a, um, yeah. a movie is just too too short to... You might try it in two yeah. movies or a long movie. I, I've heard that they're actually going to make a new Dune movie. Oh, I would be curious about yeah. that. Yeah, and it's going to be directed by Denis Villeneuve, who, who also made um, the new Blade Runner. And uh, Arrival, which was a quite a good movie, I think. All right. Okay. And it wasn't a sequel or an adaptation. <laughs> For change, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, another thing um, they can do on screen uh, with with novels is is change the characters, and they can do quite lots of things with them. They can delete characters, uh, like they did with Tom Bombadil in The Lord of the Rings. But they can also merge or split characters, merge two characters or, or sometimes three, and split them. Uh, for example, if they have a character with uh, two distinct uh, qualities or characteristics, 
that they um, cut them into two separate characters. Now, why would you do that? Well, probably for political correct reasons. For example, there are only guys, so we just split one character into a, a man and a woman or something. I don't know. Well, that's strange. That's just weird. When it comes to merging characters, um, I can see how that can be expedient in a sort of uh, shorter, simpler adaptation from book to movie. Um, they did that in the second Jurassic Park The Lost World. Book. Yeah, the, the Lost World. In the book, there are two characters. One is a paleontologist, who is this very eccentric uh, guy. And the other character is um, Ian Malcolm's girlfriend. And uh, in the movie, um, there's only Ian Malcolm's girlfriend, and she happens to be a paleontologist. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know that. And unfortunately, her character is a lot less interesting than that sort of uh, very eccentric paleontologist was in the book. Yeah, okay, yeah. I can see that. And, and I can see that um, if you merge a character that's split in the book, that then you often lose the dynamic between two interesting characters. Yeah, that's true. I mean, imagine if they had... Um, merged Marion Pippin into one character. I think a more Hollywood-type adaptation would have done that for Lord of the Rings. They would have said, you don't need those two hobbits. Uh, that's too complicated, too much to remember. Just turn it into one hobbit. Perrin Randy took <laughs> or something. Yeah, they might have done that, but yeah, they didn't, they luckily. Have. Yeah, or, or you can add characters uh, as well, of course. It doesn't make the movie shorter, but it can... Uh, it, can, it can be done for multiple purposes, actually, um, like they did with Tauriel and the Hobbit. I think uh, Tauriel was done partly because, I mean, in fact, they even say so explicitly in the making of. They wanted more female characters because the Hobbit, the book doesn't have any female characters right. at all. Um, Except maybe for um, Tranduil, he's kind of... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and, and other things that happen in adaptations is, you, you know, you might keep the same elements but move them to a different place in the story. Yeah, like uh, important lines from characters that are deleted, for example. They could be moved to other characters or to other moments in the story. Yes, again, lots of instances of that in uh, The Lord of the Rings. But, I mean... I do also want to mention other things besides Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, <laughs> but, but it's so hard! <laughs> anyway, uh, um, I maybe think... Maybe we should call it the Lord of the Rings podcast or something. <laughs> there are many of those, I think. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think it's important that you do respect the ending, though of the novel. I think so, yeah. Um, you know, we talked about this before with uh, Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the remake was a bit unfortunate in that regard. I mean the uh, Tim Burton remake, because the movies that they made afterwards with Andy Serkis, those are very good. I yeah, think. and exactly. But, but uh, I didn't mean only with remakes, but for example, also with sequels uh, by other creators, for example, like with Star Wars. If you establish a character has has had a certain journey and has mm -hmm. has had a certain growth, you cannot simply delete that or reset that in a, a next movie. You really have to respect the fact mm. the you're, build. You're up talking of, about Han Solo. The build up of. Yeah. I'm talking about many characters right. <laughs> in the new Star Wars yeah. movies. I think it's something that happens when you have a long running series. 
things get reset. I hate that. It's why I don't watch TV series. I should do a whole hep- episode on that. Why I don't watch TV series anymore. <laughs> right. Well, on the whole, I would say that in an adaptation to screen, you should be loyal to the Sith. What? what? The Sith? <laughs> I mean, I, explain. Well, I'm, I mean, actually, the spirit, the ideas, the truth and the heart of a story. You should be true to the essence of the story. Yeah. I think you should, yeah, you should trademark that or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I was thinking about the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, for example, how they they kind of did that with the, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I think it was quite true to the themes yeah, of the... Yeah, but then the next movies, like Prince Caspian, they, they kind of yeah. suffered from that. I think, yeah, the they, second... They wanted to brand it more to a young, modern um They actually audience. wanted to brand it to an older yeah. audience, I think. Uh, they wanted to brand it to teenagers more than children and wanted to make it cooler and darker and edgier. Yeah. And it sucked as a I result. I meant young from our perspective right. of being old people yeah. with No, I, I don't know. I <laughs> still don't get that this is from the same guy because because the first one, Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe, was just a, it, it was a really faithful adaptation. And then the second one, Prince Caspian, just it completely changes the story, puts in all kinds of crappy stuff that doesn't belong there. It's what happened. On the whole, Andrew I Adamson? enjoyed them, but uh, but yeah, the, that first uh, adaptation was was still my it's, it's still my favorite. Uh, the same goes for Stephen King novels, by the way. Um, they are more often uh, adapted by other directors, not uh, just the same one, but they're also very hard to get right, I think. And and one of the things I've noticed is, uh, for example, The Shining, it's an interesting movie, but it doesn't quite get the feeling of a, a Stephen King novel right. It's, it's a very distant atmosphere that doesn't really quite fit the Stephen King novel. Well, I, I guess it's sort of a, uh, a Stanley Kubrick thing because he, he his movies always have this strange, cold, cerebral right. atmosphere to them that's a bit creepy and a bit unsettling. Yeah, and, and that's not what the, the novels are about, I think. Uh, what strikes me in almost all Stephen King novels is that they kind of, even though they're very disturbing and creepy often, they end on a very positive and hopeful note. And I remember the ending of the the short story, uh, The Mist. And mm-hmm. then I've seen the movie and <laughs> and that ending yeah. was the most depressing ending I've ever seen. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it, but if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, don't <laughs> watch the movie The Mist. Okay. Um, it's it's it's. Uh, I thought it was a cruel ending that they did. Yeah, and and I remember the director actually being quite uh, proud of it because it was kind of witty, but. Um, no, I, I thought that was awful. Compared to the the ending in the in the short story, that that was one of a very open ending, a very hopeful ending, and that's often the way. Uh, Stephen King novels end and mm. I think it's a kind of a, a Stephen King thing to do so you should keep faithful to that yeah yeah I wonder what he thinks of it I'd like to ask him 
We'll have him on the show <laughs> as a guest. Right. That might be good for our <laughs> our, our listenership than the our ratings. Uh, I do think it's it's logical that you have to reckon with a modern audience if you turn a novel um, into a movie, especially if it's it's an older novel and and it's a very recent movie. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 There are some things that you might have to explain or do differently one thing that comes to mind is i noticed when they made the lord of the rings movies <laughs> oh i'm sorry i you've uh, watched those uh yeah uh, i'm sorry i don't know what's what the matter is with me but i it's i'm always thinking and talking about lord of the rings why is that because it's the skyrim of the novels <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so when they did lord of the rings People had a lot of um, comments on all of the, the various stuff that they did that was different from the book, but there were some things that were, I think, issues that would have been a lot bigger for Professor Tolkien that audiences sort of just completely embraced and didn't even think about. I'm thinking of um, the fact that in the movie uh, there's a scene of Aragorn and Arwen kissing, several times even, I think. and. I don't think Tolkien would have liked that at all. I think he would have objected to that. Nobody else made a comment about it. But the sort of relationship that Aragorn and Arwen have is a is a courtship and uh, not not a, a relationship. Certainly not in this sort of modern sense of dating. Uh, they don't have that. I think you know you have to see Aragorn is more like a knight and Arwen is his lady. It's it's a very you know, it's a, it's a courtly romance and it's only really at the very end when he has achieved his goals and, and he becomes king and then the platonic elements can finally give way to real romance. Which they did. <laughs> yeah, they, they also did that. But I think, I, I mean, Tolkien would have objected to that quite strongly, I'm sure. Yeah, possibly. Um, I don't think the most of the audience no, uh, mo for modern audiences, that's how you establish that, you know, okay, oh, so they're in love with each other. Um, Some of those m might not understand. In any way, I think it's important uh, to take advantage of the medium and to add things to the story that are unique to the medium of, of a movie. You can do lots of things in a movie that you cannot do in a novel. So why not yes. take advantage of that? You, no, you have to do that. Otherwise... Why are you even making a movie in the first place? And to mention the Lord of the Rings again, uh, yeah. think, think about the scene with the beacons. How yeah. awesome was the light, that? The lighting of the beacons. Yeah. That's, that's a high point where, where they really chose to do something that you can only do in a movie. You cannot do it in any other medium. They could never have done that in the book. Yeah, and, and you know, you have this, this wonderful... Um, incredible rendition of the Gondor theme yeah. these epic landscapes it's it's pure cinema and it's it's a goosebumps moment it's incredible oh, there are more of those yeah but, also but, there, there's a lot of humor added uh, in the movie I think that's something that that really works for screen too and and the music how could we not mention the music
don't yeah. have that gorgeous Howard Shore score in the in the novel. Well, you could listen to it while reading, but <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, these are the things that make a movie uh, an interesting medium that deserves to exist alongside a book. Um, and and if you're just going to sort of slavishly follow the book and not use the unique qualities of the medium film, then you're not doing it right, I think. Right. Maybe you can take a bit of time to uh, to conclude the first uh, part, a novel to screen, and rant a bit about The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings so you can get it off your chest and then move on. For some people, hating on the on the movies, I'm talking particularly about Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit now, is seen as a kind of badge of honor, but it so blatantly disregards all the hard work and passion and thought that went into the making of these movies. And we're not saying they're perfect. I don't think a perfect adaptation exists. But what they did, what Peter Jackson and his team did with those movies, all six of them, is incredible, really, and deserves a lot of respect. If you love the book, you should, you should realize that in the hands of somebody else, this would have been a nightmare. I mean, I read what uh, John Borman was planning to do with The Lord of the Rings back in the 70s. He wanted to make an adaptation of it, and, it and, and I read what was going to be in it, and it was awful. Or the, the Beatles wanted to do their version of, 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 the, of the Lord of the Rings with, uh, with, with the themselves Beatles? as the main characters. What? I mean, yeah, it would have what? been horrible. In, wasn't there an animation? There could have version, been a yeah. The all? the Ralph Bakshi animation movie is is I think a, a terrible adaptation. I mean, there are people who who actually think it's better than what Peter Jackson did. I think they've been smoking too much pipe weed because <laughs> let's be honest here. The, in 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 that animated movie, they can't they can't even get the names right of the characters. Only because Araman is kind. It should have been his friend Araman. How long since Araman? Araman. 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 You know, and and here we have these uh, three movies that were, you know, really obviously made with so much love and six and of passion. Them actually, six yeah, Middle now, Earth movies. Now six. If you really hate the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies, watch the the making of documentaries. If you watch that, I mean, and you're still you only have bad things to say about them. I think that's that's a bit harsh because. It's very obvious when you see those that a lot of love went into that. And um, yeah, and respect for the source. I think they have really good arguments for every decision they yeah. made. And it's not like they made it on a whim. They really, really considered every option to make it as respectful and as, as loyal yeah. to the source as possible. Yeah, especially for the Lord of the Rings. Now, with The Hobbit, they took more liberties. Um, they did some more things that went a bit further. I, I, I would concede that. But even if you have issues with The Hobbit's films as an adaptation, I, I personally think that they still are faithful enough because everything that's in the book is in there. And it's actually quite remarkable how close it really is. 
Um, but okay. Yeah. But okay. If even if you have issues with how the tone is different, um, or you might feel the spirit is different from the book, even if you take that into account, just watch uh, those three movies, the Hobbit trilogy, on their own, just as fantasy adventure movies, and compare them with pretty much any other blockbuster of the past decade, and I think they, they are so clearly far better than all of that stuff, in my opinion at least. So um, yeah, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Um, we can... Uh move on to the the next uh, kind of adaptation then uh, novelization so uh, a movie turned into a novel yeah that uh, was more popular back in the day uh, before people had uh, VHS or DVDs and you know before they were able to own a movie and watch it at home I, I think, think that was a way to sort I of have experience with that actually I, I do remember a couple of books as a, I read as a teenager based on, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, but other than that I cannot remember uh, reading a book that was based on a, a movie or a series or anything. It, it was also a way to sort of know the story if you wanted to before you saw the movie. Oh right, so the, the novel came out first then before the... Yeah, because in, in my case, I remember when uh, Star Wars Episode One came out, The Phantom Menace, um, they had a novelization, and I read the novel before I saw the movie, so I already knew what was going to be in the story before I saw the movie. Oh. But that was also because films got released later in Belgium than they were in America back right. then. That's no longer really the case, right? No, no. It got better now. Because of piracy. <laughs> now lots of movies just don't get released in Belgium. But that's yeah. another matter, let's yeah. not talk about that. Uh, so anyway, it's true that um, novelizations have their own sort of unique quality, I think, um, mm -hmm. for specific kinds of movies. Yes. I think they work best for Star Wars, really. Yeah, because um, there's a lot of uh, lore and politics uh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, maybe Star Trek 2, I don't know. But that, those kinds of movies that are set in these expansive universes with a lot of background information, you can explain that a bit more. You can mm. expand on that a bit more in the book. And that's that's useful. I, I, I mean, that's interesting. Uh, and for example, the Star Wars uh, novelizations, they do that. Right. Shall we move on to video games turned to movies? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, yeah. Why uh-oh? Because they tend to have a bad reputation? Yeah, they do. I I've heard that Resident Evil was such a bad movie. I, I, I think I've seen it, but I can't really well, remember. I, what I, I haven't about. seen it, but I know there are a bunch of them. They made a lot of Resident Evil movies, so they can't have been that bad, maybe? No, I, I, I can't really remember what they were about, so... I did remember the version of Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie, and that wasn't very good. Yeah, but there are exceptions, right? I remember, uh, I, I've seen uh, Silent Hill. I used to be a very, very big uh, horror fan, so everything creepy that... Uh, I, I needed to see it at the theaters. Mm. Uh, so I watched Silent Hill and I thought it was a very cool, atmospheric movie. I, I never played the game, so I can't really compare, but I thought the movie was pretty decent. 
And of course, I, I love the Warcraft movie. Yeah, Warcraft, that was a very good video game movie. And I, I never really played World of Warcraft. I did only play the uh, strategy game Warcraft 2. <laughs> Um, so I'm far from an expert, but um, I think that the reason why the Warcraft movie was a good movie was because they didn't adapt the plot of a video game into a movie, but they just took a bit of uh, background lore or uh, part of the, the sort of setting history and they turned that into a movie. Exactly, yeah. It's a new story set in the lore of Warcraft, but it's not really the the main plot of, of the game. Yeah, it's not the main quest of yeah. uh, any World of Warcraft game. I think there are various reasons why it's harder for movies based on games to work. For one, I think it's very hard because a game usually takes way more hours than a movie does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and all those scenes of uh, your main character collecting 10 wolf skins and bringing <laughs> them back. <laughs> That's, of course, very essential to the story. But also, uh, a good game has focus on, on the gameplay uh, and less on the story. That's what we talked about in our game uh, episodes, right? Yeah, I think I think indeed games focus more on on. I mean, well, they have to or should, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and there are of course things that you cannot really turn into a story or, or you should leave out. Then another thing is that the main character often does all the action in in video games. So that would look very lonely on screen. And all the other people are just there to to beg him to help them. So yeah, that's that's a lot of RPGs. Yeah, and I think another thing is movie directors simply have picked the wrong movies. Yeah, yeah, they should do that Tetris movie. <laughs> yeah, they said that and I, <laughs> it was a joke, but actually I thought they were serious because if you see what they're actually turning to movies nowadays i wouldn't be surprised they had an emoji movie yeah so exactly so why not a tetris movie they have a lego movie they have all kinds of movies yeah that's true that's true but Uh, but for example uh bioware games would make great movies actually there's so full of cutscenes that you would just have to cut the actual game and you would have a movie (laughs) wouldn't that be cheap i see what you mean mass effect is uh you know would be great for a, for a movie. Weren't they planning on uh, m- making a movie out of Mass Effect? There was talk of that, but now um, I haven't heard of it from for a long time. Now that the uh, well, the, the game series has sort of uh, crashed and burned, so um, I'm kind of afraid that studios are afraid to turn it into a movie now. Yeah, and what about things like The Witcher Three and 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 Dragon Age One would perhaps uh, give problem because of their typical roleplay structure with many side quests but with a bit of brushing up you could turn those into great movies i think yeah to be honest the only star wars movie that i want to see that doesn't exist yet would be knights of the old republic the movie uh from the game yeah i i want to see that i don't want to see episode nine with more 
you know, Kylo Ren, the emo stuff. I'm not interested in that. I want to see Darth Revan and Bastila and and um, what's his face? The guy who reminds me of Bill Pullman. Uh, <laughs> Karth, yeah. Oh, Karth, yeah. That He's was my cool. love interest in the game. He was, yeah. <laughs> I had Bastila, but she's actually kind of annoying. But, well, she's the only... She's the only pretty girl, so yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, or maybe they should turn Skyrim into a movie. There's been talk about that, but I I don't think it would work actually. The, the thing about yeah, the thing about Skyrim is that by its nature, it's very uncinematic. It's very much you are the main character, you control the story, you're free to go where you like. That whole vibe, that whole feel, mm-hmm. um, is so typical of Skyrim and of the Elder Scrolls that it it wouldn't make a good movie. I it, think it could work if they if they picked one specific background story and picked one specific quest, like the, the yeah. main quest or the. I, I would stay away from quests, quest. and I would simply if if I did a, a an Elder Scrolls movie, I would take something from the lore. The, the lore is very rich. And um, and make that into a movie. I'd like to see a Diablo movie. That would be really cool. I think. Wouldn't that be like uh, guys killing each other and looting each other all the time? <laughs> no, uh, it, it would be about uh, you know a, a world that is invaded by demons and um, you know this last desperate attempt to save the world from demonic hordes. That might be cool. I like the looting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you you have to put the looting in there also. It's part of the the series. Anyway, okay. So comic books. Yeah, we've talked about that uh, before in the in the last uh, in the former episode about heroes and superheroes. The adaptations um, of comic books are usually very dark and gritty and serious and mature and all those. Silly words. I'm Batman. And and actually, I where's the Joker? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Thank you for that. <laughs> I kind of think it violates the loyalty of the Sith rule, the spirits, the ideas, the truths, and the heart of the story. And I think that's why they often don't work for us. Um, am I wrong? To be honest, um, I like. A bit of superhero stuff now and then but I'm just not very big into the genre itself we had a period when we watched quite a lot of those new Marvel movies on Netflix and we saw the Avengers and Thor and uh, Civil War and you know and um, I noticed that the reason why I don't really enjoy those movies very much is because it's just not really my style I like atmospheric, mysterious things, and um, these these Marvel movies tend to be set in very ordinary, present-day cities in bright daylight, and it's just the sense of mystery and wonder is sort of lacking for me, and that's just, I think, part of the genre. I don't really mind. I, I really love Superman. I, I love Batman. Yeah, and Batman is like different. Things like the Green Arrow, I, I really like that. But um, I think what 
bothered me about these Avenger movies the most was that it was the, it was just a mess when it came to storytelling. The the stories were actually all over the place. Yeah, the the second Avengers movies, I really hated that. Age of Ultron, I hated that movie so much. I really really didn't like it. I don't actually remember anymore what it happened. Was it was such it was, just it was a mess. It seemed it felt like such a huge waste of money and effort and screen time. Yeah, it was loud, it was busy, it was annoying. It's was it wasn't for me anyway. <laughs> Whatever it was, it wasn't for me. So. Yeah, but still we we kept watching the the other sequels because people kept telling us how brilliant they were and I just didn't I really didn't see I, I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy because that was something completely different yeah it was funny too it was nice I also enjoyed the first Captain America set in World War 2 I enjoyed that but um, but yeah I guess just the, 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 the modern day um, skyscrapers uh, and guys flying around in costumes that just doesn't do it for me also maybe they should just take a break from superheroes for a moment because it's been so much at the same time uh one sequel after the other released that i i think people want something else for a change something new something original i want to see a supernatural western okay like a, a western with some creepy horror fantasy elements. Didn't you write a short story like that once? I wanted to, but I never did. Oh yeah, okay. Maybe you should keep that in mind for future projects. <laughs> um, yeah. The queue of future projects that is getting quite endless, actually. Yeah, I've, I've got to do Word of Wolfen first. It's just, it's, it's a bit daunting, to be honest. Uh, but I'm uh, yeah let's just do it man okay anyway then we have our miscellaneous yes uh, like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean which was a theme park ride yeah and I think it works because what you mentioned earlier it's loosely based on the characters it has a lot of character humor uh, so it's it's not like they actually took a story and adapted it but well, there isn't much of a story in the ride uh, yeah. <laughs> but what they did, and uh, that was great, is they they wrote a, a, a really good story for that first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. They set out and constructed this whole plot, and it wasn't just some super simple, straightforward excuse to have some some sword fights and 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 cannons. It was a it was a well plotted um, fantasy adventure, right? And they put in some of the visual elements from the ride as a joke, like there's in the ride there's this moment when you see a bunch of pirates in a cell, and then in a in a jail, and then there's a dog who has the keys in his mouth, and they're trying to right. lure the dog. That scene is in the movie also. Things like that. Um, that's nice. In fact, it, even Jack Sparrow actually comments and says, no matter how long you keep trying, that dog is never going to move. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is what it's like in the ride, of course. <laughs> right. Okay. So. Uh, actually, although I, I like the first and the fourth movie best, I think, from the series, 
um, they do always come up with a very original story that usually revolves around um, something you've heard of, something mysterious. Uh, a bit like the Indiana Jones movies were based on these these artifacts from legends that everyone had, had heard about and that people had long looked for, like the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant. In Pirates, it's like Davy Jones' Locker and Fountain of Youth, and they also they they always take an, an element to build their story around that's really atmospheric and and that makes you curious and that's mysterious. And I like I like that about the movies. I agree. And then yeah, we have the toys-based movies. Um, Are there more than one? <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a Lego movie, but I th- didn't they do a Thunderbirds? Well, that was also a TV series. Yeah, I think with uh, Transformers and the Turtles and Thunderbirds, it's 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 a matter of what was first. Was there were the toys first? Were the the, the series first, or was it both? I I don't know actually. I don't know. But actually, a, a movie based on toys is brilliant, and 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 the Lego movie has a great story. It's it's very funny. Uh, they kind of mock our current society. I always love when they do that. Yeah, me too. Everything is awesome. And then, yeah, you have the Lego Batman movie, which is a mix of comics and toys and movies and comics and stuff and games. Carnival and suits. Toys and... Yeah. <laughs> and which was nice. Yeah. Then we have talked about novels turned into audio dramas, which is actually something we're quite interested in. Yes, of course, uh, we've mentioned that. What we haven't talked about is audio dramas being turned into movies, because I think a Witch Hunter movie would be quite cool. Someone make a Witch Hunter movie. Not just someone. Please. Peter Jackson. Yeah, Peter Jackson. (laughs) Come on, Pete. Please, Peter Jackson, make a Witch Hunter movie. You know you want to. With the Audio Epics projects, uh, we started off creating original audio dramas. But the way we work now is that you write the novel and then turn it into a dramatized audiobook, right? That's true, but I don't change much about the text itself. A little bit. Very tiny stuff, uh, like I cut out he said or she said. Uh, But it's, it's... the, the audio version versus the printed version is almost the same. And then, of course, yeah, uh, there's War of the Worlds, which is its own unique thing, maybe. Um, it was a novel first, and then uh, Orson Welles uh, thought, I'm going to do something really original with it, and he did a very loose adaptation yeah. and presented it as a newscast on the radio, and people actually thought there was something apocalyptic going on because it was delivered in such a realistic way. And then they turned it into a movie, and then they remade the movie, and now it has Tom Cruise. Which is nice. I think he gives a good performance in that movie. I thought it was genuinely creepy, that movie. Even though there's no gore and and spluttering brains or something, but it was just very ominous. Yeah, it it was a nice sort of counterweight to Independence Day which was this very optimistic, uh, you know, uh, you know, the alien invasion is almost, is almost fun in that movie. Uh, whereas War of the Worlds was really dark and, and oppressive and it was 
genuinely scary. I, I, I liked having those two approaches. Right, so I guess we can come to uh, the conclusion of our podcast. Yes, adaptations should be loyal to the Sith. Yeah, which stands for spirit, ideas, themes and heart. And adaptations should be adaptations, not too slavish. I think the first two Harry Potter movies suffer a bit from that. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I think they were trying to... Uh, maybe it's because because J.K. Rowling was so closely involved and she still had to get used to the new medium that they really wanted to translate each scene to screen uh, afraid that something would go lost. But mm. the result actually of the in the first movie was that it was so very loyal, almost like a copy-paste, that um, there were things left in the movie that could have been cut out, and near the end, you feel like they have to rush things, and then the whole sequence that builds up towards act- uh, Harry actually finding the Philosopher's Stone is, is so quick that it kind of loses all the, the mystery and, and the, the great build-up that the, the novel had. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I, I don't want to bash the movie because I think um, the director did a good job, uh, but it does drag a bit and it probably comes from being too, mm. too close to the book. I think overall the movies uh, tended to get better near the end. Yeah, I agree. The, the, actually, the more they started doing their own thing a bit, the better they became, I think. I think that's often the case. You should really use the advantages of the medium that's uh that's a second exactly thing. It, it, uh, it, harry potter is, uh, sort of lacks these sort of great purely cinematic moments that you get in the lord of the rings like for example we we talked about the uh, lighting of the beacon scene but just take a moment like um gandalf in the first movie in the fellowship gandalf is on the orthanc on saruman's tower He's visited by a moth. He speaks to the moth to give it a message. And then the camera falls from the tower into the pits of Isengard, uh, where you see these goblins forging their weapons. I mean, just that sort of original and dazzling camera work. Right. Is, um, you know, that's something you can only do in a movie. And, and that's sort of lacking from. Um, from many uh, uh, movie adaptations. And that very camera movement was so awesome that it was actually adapted into numerous theme park rides. <laughs> right. <laughs> the fall from Isengard theme park ride. <laughs> oh, I can see it. I can see it right now. Yeah. So, uh, so that was our conclusion. So adaptations should be loyal to the Sith. Uh, should be an adaptation, not a translation. And they should take advantage of the unique qualities of the medium. So uh, a new version should actually contribute in some way to the story, to the original story. Um, Right, yeah. But maybe you have other things um, in mind that are very important when you adapt a story to screen. Okay, I'm going to end with one more question. You're a big fan of the Hunger Games, right? Yeah. If you have to choose the books... Or the movies? That's a very hard choice. I, I really enjoyed the books. 
a lot. Uh, I've read them twice. I thought they were really, really great stories. Um, but I do think, uh, especially when reading them a second time, I, I, I noticed that the character of Katniss kind of became very whiny and teenagey and and um, and therefore a bit a bit annoying it went a bit too far and they kind of fixed that in the movie which i really appreciate then there were these uh, a couple of scenes that weren't really clear to me from the passengers in the book that they actually translated very well uh, to screen so overall, I would say, uh, yeah, the same thing as for The Lord of the Rings. I think I enjoy both. That's a cheap answer, but okay. <laughs> no, I have you, to do. You, you, gave a good, you gave a good answer. I'm satisfied. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed this um, episode. Please comment if you agree or disagree or have uh, any additions to this podcast. Uh, comment uh, and subscribe, please. We always appreciate that. Yeah, and also thank you for the many comments and and suggestions uh, that we've read on YouTube. Uh, please keep doing that. It's uh, it's very, very great to to read all those. Okay, so uh, we'll be back next week. So see you then. 